Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Coolangatta podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planting and leading thriving local churches. You've joined us in a series we've titled Paradox, A Different Way to Live. In this series, we will uncover the profound truths hidden within these seemingly contradictory statements as we embrace the challenge to follow Jesus' footsteps and be a catalyst for change in our world. We pray that this message is a blessing. Well, friends, I'm excited for a new conference. I'd love to see you there. For those of you who are wondering who I am, my name is Michael. And uh, I'm excited to be here at Coolangatta. For you, if you're the first time here at New Life, New Life is uh, three churches, uh, one family. We have a church in Brisbane, Coolangatta, and one in Rabina. And we're about to have another one in Morton as well, for those of you who missed that announcement. Um, it's a privilege to be preaching with you today. Pastor Scott is not with us. Um, still alive, still around. Um, he came back from Israel and has gone on holidays for two weeks with his family, which is fantastic. And so if you, uh, for some reason get bored during today's sermon, fall asleep or anything, come back next week. It'll be a lot better then. Is he preaching next week? No, David's preaching next week. So it will be better. Uh, David's a phenomenal preacher. A lot more energy. They seem to really think so too, David. The second thing is, is that this is actually my last time preaching here at New Life Kulingara until I have a baby. So I tricked you, didn't I? I got you then. I will be back. Uh, my wife is 32 weeks pregnant. Uh, our third child is on the way. So next time we see each other, uh, I'll look a lot more tired than I do now. Although they tell me that you just continue in your tithing. You don't get more tired. You just don't ever get more rest. Can I ever have a parent say amen to that? Yeah, they see the grumble. Yeah. All those without kids, look forward to it. Having said that, I love my family. Married to a beautiful woman named Sarah, a three-and-a-half-year-old and and a a one-and-a-half-year-old, Archer and Benna. And they are delightful and rough and uh, praying for a girl. Would you join with me as we pray? Gracious God, Lord, I thank you so much that we can gather together today. I pray that as we step into your word, would you shape us? Would you change us? Would you form us? Lord God, I need you today. Uh, I just need you to take over here and just do what only you can. I am not enough to bring transformation here. Only you can do that. So Holy Spirit, we keenly want to listen to your voice. Less of me, more of you. And all God's people said, amen. Friends, have you um, you ever missed the point? Have you ever missed the point? Uh, That's not even a joke yet. Happened in the first service. I made a comment. Everyone started laughing. I don't know why it was funny. Still don't know why it was funny. Anyway, have you ever missed the point? I remember uh, one, a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago, my wife and I started our son Archer in soccer. Uh, he's great, three and a half year old running around playing soccer. I've always wanted to be a soccer dad, have that coffee on the sideline, yelling at the ref for, you know, doing the wrong thing with my son. Uh, it's going really well. What I have realized, however, is that my son's pretty good at soccer, which means one thing is that he got his genetics from his mother. I'm terrible at sport. I said this at Rabina last week. Someone came up to me and goes, hey, I've played sport with you. You are terrible at sport. You didn't lie. This is not preacher's exaggeration, friend. God has not blessed me with the ability to catch a ball or kick a ball or play in a team. I'm good at running because I just do it by myself. But there's this moment when, um, when I realized that because when I was young, I wasn't great at soccer. In fact, my dad, hoping that one day he'd be able to retire on the back of my soccer stardom, started me playing soccer when I was five years old, chucked me in a team. And to be honest, like long story short, I just didn't get the point of soccer. Or for those of you who are coaching in the room, football, it just didn't make sense to me. Those of you like, what did he say? Football. Only one person got the joke. You laughed at something earlier, but not at that. 
Wow, tough crowd. And there's, uh, and there's this moment when I started the game, and, and it just didn't make sense. I mean, back then, we'd play like 20-minute halves, but just in general, right, it doesn't make sense to me. 90 minutes, 22 people on a field, all running around the field for the whole game, and they score like one goal. And everyone's like, oh, that was a great game, wasn't it? That was a boring game. Like, what the – it's like if, if you score one goal in 90 minutes, you should really reevaluate how well you think you can play a sport. Having said that, I was there on, out on the field playing, and to be honest, I just – didn't enjoy it. I was in the midfield wing and I got so bored that when the ball didn't come to me for long enough, I do what any self-respecting five-year-old does when they're bored out in the middle of the soccer field. I sat down, started to kill the ants around me, pick grass. I actually had a really lovely time until someone shouted at me, Michael, the ball. I looked up and like accurately spotted that is a ball and it's coming for me and now it is past me and it's in the goal. Well done, observational win for you. And I realized they were calling out that I was trying to get the ball. Now, my team kept moving me in different positions, and I kept failing at the ball. So they came up with this great idea to put me in the goals. Because uh, they were like, well, let's just keep the ball away from the goal, and Mark will be great. I loved it. I got to wear a bright, colorful T-shirt, super grippy gloves, and it was like a lot of fun. I was like, I can't wait to, you know, I don't know, grip something with my gloves. So I'm down there in the, in the goals, and they did what they thought they were going to do. They kept the ball away from me. First five minutes was cool. I was just, you know showing everyone my shirt, but then after a while, it got pretty boring until I turned around and there behind me was the biggest soccer net I had ever seen. And I thought to myself, no one has ever climbed this before. I shall be the first. And so I put my arm and I tangled my arm in it and I'm like, hey, wow, that's pretty cool. Hey, what if I got my other arm? And I tangled my other arm in the other side, right? So here I am, two arms in, I start swinging and I'm like, I have an idea. What if I got both my legs into said net? And so I did that. So I tangled both my arms in and I started tangling my legs into the net like this. And then you know, my dad, hoping that I'd be reaching Manchester United starting one day, is seeing his son down the other end of the field in a bright, colorful teaser, woo, like this, right? And I'm having the best time of my life until it happens. Someone screams, Michael the ball, of course. And so here I am looking over my shoulder, and there's a five-year-old with too much testosterone coming down the field for me, breathing, I'm like, oh, my gosh. This isn't good. And something tweaked in my head as I tried to get my arms and legs out and I'm tangled good in like the super grippy gloves that like keeping me super gripped in. And I'm like, I'm like trying to get out and suddenly he's coming down. I'm here. Everyone's shouting at me, get out of the net. I'm like, it's harder than it looks. And so I'm saying, and I realized the only one thing to do was to shake my body as violently as I could. And so the ball's coming for me and I was like, ah! Like this, right? My side, my dad's like, I do not know who that boy is in the soccer nets. He kicks the ball, happens slow-mo. I'm like, no. My dad's like, who's that? And then the other team's like, yes. Sails into the goal. They celebrate because it was the only score, like goal anyone scored the whole game, remember? And then everyone's celebrating. My team's like, we put the idiot in the net. The other team's like, they put the idiot in the net. And my dad's like, hey, you want to get a happy meal? I'm like, sounds good to me. Win-win for everybody. And so I went home. And friends, the truth is, I didn't enjoy soccer um, because I didn't really understand the point of it. Like, it just didn't make sense to me. Now, I actually like soccer these days. I do go for Manchester United, if you didn't pick that up. Um, we, we, we will come back at some stage. There's this moment, though, where I realized the reason why I didn't enjoy soccer was because I didn't understand it. It didn't make sense to me. I didn't understand the why. Why are we out in the field? And I say that today because I think... I think some of us, we're missing the point of what it means to be a disciple. And so our faith is boring. Our faith is unadventurous. Friends, there are teenagers in the room today, or young people in the room, who are looking at their mother and father thinking, man, your life looks so boring. I don't know if I want to do this when I graduate. 
Some of you are laughing. Some teenagers are like, can I say amen? Nope, we can't say amen to that. Why? Because friends, I don't think being a Christian is boring. But I think Christians are boring. Because we've made our faith sanitized. We've confined it. But when you actually listen to the words of Jesus, they're not words of boredom. They're words of controversy. Jesus came to institute an upside-down kingdom. He came to upend the power structures, the social dynamics, the way that our world operated. And so we've made faith boring. It's not Jesus' fault. It's probably us missing the point. He stands there and he goes, you want to be first? You better be last. What the heck? What does that even mean? You'll find out a couple weeks' time. You want to be the greatest? Well, you must be the least. Is there someone in your life you hate and you have an enemy? Do you have an enemy? Love them and pray for them. Man, Jesus starts saying these things that don't sound boring. They sound hard. They sound difficult. They sound controversial. They sound so revolutionary that if everyone in this world took them seriously, man, what kind of world would we be in? So this week, we're in week two of Paradox, a a different way to live. And so I think Jesus wants to invite us into a different way to live by reminding us of what the point of discipleship is. See, Peter missed the point. He missed the point altogether. This week is part two of last week's sermon. You heard Pastor Alex last week. He preached phenomenally. Love you to go grab the podcast. But he talked about Matthew chapter 16. Jesus and his disciples are in Caesarea Philippi. I'm not going to go through the whole thing because we did it last week. But he asks them a question. Who do you say that I am? Peter, having a divine revelation from the Father in heaven, turns out, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And in this moment, Peter gets it right. Jesus turns around and goes, yes, I tell you, you are now Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it, right? If you were here last week, you'll remember that. It's a beautiful moment. What's Jesus doing there? He is vision casting the future of his kingdom. Upon this rock, I will build my ecclesia, my called out people, the people who will change the powers of darkness, that will make darkness quake in their boots. And you'd like, if you want to know, this was the verse that got me into ministry. This is the reason why I do what I do. I'm like, I want to be a part of this revolutionary kingdom that's making even Hades itself shake in its boots. There's a cool moment last week. And Peter's feeling pretty chuffed with himself. And Jesus says, do you want to know how we're going to get this done? Do you want to know what it looks like for us to take down Rome, take down the world, take down darkness itself? You can sense the disciples like, yes. I mean, we're like, yeah, Jesus, come on, tell us the plan. Verse 24. And Jesus said to the disciples, that was from that time on, sorry, verse 23, 21, there we are. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Talk about a mood kill. It's okay, you can laugh at that. It's not sacrilegious. This is his moment, right? Jesus is like, we're going to change the world. And here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to let them kill me. Uh, Jesus, just <clears throat> can we go back to the part where we were like, you know, gates of Hades and stuff? That was awesome. But this stuff here, like, I don't know if you know, but we're all fishermen. That guy there's a tax collector. No one really likes him. He's a zealot. But we all left everything to follow you. And we're going to kind of go and and you're going to die. I don't think that's really the ecclesia we got called into. Right? The disciples, rightly so, are confused. And Peter, 
has this moment where he's got one answer, right? You know, you're the son of the living God. She's like, ding, you got it right. So Peter's a little bit overinflated with his arrogance. He's like, ha friends, I get most things right. And so he's like that kid that sits up the front of the class and gets one question right for the rest of the lesson, decides to teach the teacher the lesson. And everyone's like, oh, dude, you're not that great. That's who Peter becomes. Because in this moment, he takes Jesus to the side. And the next verse we read, Peter took Jesus aside and says to him, never, Lord. He said, this shall never happen to you. What's Peter doing here? He's like, hey, Jesus, ixnay on the whole eth day stuff, right? Like, let's say no one really wants to do that um, dying thing. We were thinking, let's go kick Caesar's butt. But you seem to be thinking Caesar's going to kick your butt. And that's not as attractive to us because we weren't thinking that this would go that way. How about we just pull back that plan. Next time you want to apply plan, Jesus, run it past me first. And then when I say yes, then we can keep going. Right, Peter's trying to slow the thing down. But here's the question. Is Peter worried about Jesus? Correct. That's great. This is more feedback than we get at Rabina. Ask a question like, Jesus is Lord. And people are like, mm. I'm like, the service is finishing. So I'm like, amen. Is Peter worried about Jesus? No. Who's he worried about? He's worried about himself. I didn't leave everything for you to go die. Hang on, wait, 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 that's not comfortable, that's not nice, that's not, no, 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 Jesus, whoa, hey, I want, let's go march on Rome, let's go take down the powers that be, let's go and upend the Pharisees, I don't want them to kill you, let's go end them. What's Peter worried about? He's worried about his comfort, he's worried about his security, he's worried about himself. And so Jesus turns around and with the harshest rebuke in the Bible, he says, Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, there's someone in the room today. It's your first day in church. And you thought Jesus was nice. And suddenly he's calling someone Satan. And you're like, whoa. Jesus, Jesus isn't nice. He's good. And he speaks truth. And in this moment, he's saying to Peter, you've had two revelations today, Peter, one from the kingdom of heaven, one from the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of heaven said to you that I am the living son of God. Yeah, it's true. But the kingdom of darkness said this to you, hey, Peter, he's going to send you down a road that will be painful. Stop him. Jesus in this moment is trying to shock Peter out of his desire for comfort. But we get so caught in the first line, get behind me, Satan. We're like, what does that mean? I think it literally means stop talking the way you are. But here's the thing we miss. And I didn't get it until I was preparing for the sermon. What does Jesus say next? This blew my mind. He says to Peter, you are a stumbling block to me. The son of the living God. What did he just say earlier? Not even the gates of Hades will prevail against what I'm about to do. And suddenly Peter says one thing and Jesus is like, man, what you just said could undo my whole plan. Could undo everything. The gates of Hades don't make Jesus shake. But Peter says, hey, maybe, maybe don't die. And Jesus is like, Peter, you are a stumbling block to me. It never occurred to me that Jesus Christ saw Peter as a trap. What was the trap? It was a way out of pain. It was a way out of suffering. See, friends, you are, at times, a stumbling block to the forwarding of the kingdom of God. Why? Well, just go back a slide there for me, Jody. What does it say? It says this. 
because you have in mind the concerns, but you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. What's Peter done? He said, here are my concerns. Here's God's concerns. And friends, we live like this, don't we? Hey, God, I'm, I'm going to follow you, but as soon as it becomes inconvenient, I'm probably going to question you. As soon as there's suffering, I'm probably going to question you. Why? Because comfort is more important to us than obedience. We choose apathy over hunger. We choose convenience over sacrifice. And we're like, whoa, man, faith is boring. Discipleship isn't that great. Human concerns, God's concerns. What concerns are you prioritizing in your life? Because I wonder if our faith is boring because we've allowed our concerns to prioritize God's. Friends, when was the last time you woke up and you're like, hey, God, I've got a bunch of concerns today, but before I get to those, can I ask, what's on your heart? What's concerning you? There is someone in your workplace right now that is concerning God, and he's waiting for you to wake up and go sit with him and ask him questions. There's a child in your family that just needs you to spend time with them because they're lonely, they're struggling. There's a husband or a wife. There's a family member. There's a friend. There's something in your life right now that you're entertaining and giving weight to. And God's saying, that's not what I'm concerned about right now. Will you bring it to me? See, Peter's missed the point. How often do we all miss the point, friends? So, so Peter is standing there and then Jesus says, Peter, let me, let me tell you what it's going to look like to follow me. It's not going to look like you holding me back. Because friends, imagine if Jesus had listened to Peter. Imagine if Jesus had been like, oh yeah, you're right. Death doesn't sound that much fun. Yeah, good call, Peter. Let's go see if there's another way. Peter would have been worse off. Peter would have still been dead in his sins. If God was to allow your concerns to trump his concerns and his agenda and his will, friends, the world would be a worse place. So he turns to Peter and he says, Peter, I need to teach you what it looks like to put God's concerns first. He says to his disciples, in verse 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Now, I don't know if Jesus had a marketing degree or understood like publicity, but he's really not good at pitches for people to come follow him. Like, there's not this moment where this gets better, where Jesus is like, you know, oh, you didn't like that last part, Peter. Let me give you another swing. Deny yourself. You know, it's, 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 it's a weird moment here. Because honestly, if I was a non-Christian in this room today, I'm like, why? You know, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. I'm not going to be thinking... Sounds, sounds fantastic. Sign me up. That's not Jesus' aim. Jesus' aim wasn't clickbait. His aim wasn't to try and interest you. He wasn't to tantalize what you would want. He brings you what we need. So what does it mean to be a disciple, friends? What's the point? First of all, deny yourself. We live in a day and age where a guy named Chris Hedges coined a term, said this, it's the cult of self. What do we hear in our young people, but also ourselves? You know, just be your true self. Go and find yourself. 
Hey, to your own self. That's who you, that's who you got to worry about the most. Discover more about yourself. Become who yourself has always longed to be. What we do is in our society is that we place the self at the center and we're like, no, 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 no. Just, it's all that self-motivation, self-esteem. It's all about having good and feeling like you love yourself. And what's interesting is that we teach young people, love yourself, think about yourself, be true to yourself. And then we raise them up and like, man, they're so self-centered, are they? They just don't think about other people. Yeah, do you think it might have something to do with the messaging? We live in such an individualized society, it even affects how we play out at church. I didn't really like that song today. It wasn't in my key. As if that was the key focus for Hanisi when she was, I hope it's in everybody's key. Like, like we, we think in this moment about ourselves, even when we, how we participate in church, we start to think, well, do I like that small group? Do I want to rock up early to church? Do I want to go? Do I want to do community during the week? Oh, Pastor Scott's got this great idea about feeding the homeless. It doesn't really fit in with, with what I'm doing. Like we put ourselves at the center and then we're like, faith is boring. And she's like, yeah, because your faith revolves around you. And we forget the denial of self. Now, friends, hear me. Denying yourself does not mean denying yourself pleasure and desires. Desires and pleasure were created by God to bless us and to be enjoyed. This doesn't mean like, you know, we go out into this weird brand of asceticism where it's like, I literally sleep on the floor and I do nothing that would feel good ever. No, no, no. no. It's, it's, that's, that's taking it too far. That's weird. Denying yourself is what A.W. Tozer says. The meaning of self-denial is, no, is not an infliction of personal a personal torment nor penance, but simply the giving up of the very principle of living for ourselves. It is completely changing the direction of our being and will so that no longer in any sense do we act concerning, uh, acting concerning how anything will affect us, but our one thought is how it will affect God or others. Denying yourself is someone who puts on an apron, picks up a tea towel, others first, God first, and they find joy in it. They find joy and pleasure in it. See, in the beginning of time, Genesis chapter 3, I've talked about this so often, but we're going to say it again because you can't have formation without repetition. Our hearts sinned. And sin, for those of you who are new today, best way to understand it's selfishness. In Latin, they call it incavatus in se. That's okay. You're going to leave today bilingual. You're welcome. Incavatus in se. Our hearts curved in on itself. You weren't created that way, but that's what sin has done to us. That's what we do to ourselves. We, when was the last time you made a mistake and you hurt someone else, or you did something wrong, I guarantee you weren't thinking about everybody else first. Thinking about you. Our hearts give in on itself. And so what Jesus is saying here is, is like, you want, you want to be my disciple? Hey, we're going to learn how to uncurve our hearts. Excavatus exe, our heart ex, curved outwards. This is the key. Friends, the simple question I have for you today is, Everyone has a throne of their lives. Who's on yours? Ourselves or our king? Sometimes we want Jesus to play second fiddle to us to be our foot, the footman of our agenda. Jesus, he's either Lord of all or he's nothing at all. Where in your life is the self still running the show? As if that wasn't enough, Jesus turns around and goes, and take up your cross. Now that seems nice. Because we wear crosses as jewelry. A bunch of us have them tattooed on our arms, our heads, or who, where else, wherever else. But this is actually, think back then. The reason why we have crosses 
on our arms or around our necks is because we know what Jesus did. When he was saying this to Peter, Jesus hadn't climbed the cross yet. The only reference they had for a cross is what they knew that it was. It was, a, it was the Roman tool for shaming their enemies and political prisoners. It was the worst form of punishment back then. To die on a cross was to be embarrassed. And Jesus turns to his disciples and say, take up your cross. For us, we're like, oh, yeah, that's so important. It's the center. We have sanitized the cross. There's this pastor that brought his friend into church once, and he showed him all these crosses around his church. He showed him this one cross in the middle of the sanctuary. It was emblazoned with jewels. It was beautiful. It was shining with gold. And the pastor said, look at this cross. Isn't it beautiful? We pay $10,000 for this cross. And a Christian friend turned to him and said, wow, you've been swindled. They used to give those out for free. They used to pin us to them. We've made something beautiful that originally we forget it's horror. Why was Jesus talking about something horrific to them? He was trying to awaken them up and say, friends, to be my disciple means that you will be an outcast. You will be a politically scorned, religiously scorned. People will look at you. To carry a cross back then meant that you were judged and condemned as someone that was against the way things were. Take up your cross and die to yourself. And die. Jesus doesn't lead us to a life where we just become more of who we've always wanted to be. The way through is first death. Death to self. And I'm sitting here today thinking, there's going to be a non-Christian in the room thinking, do I want to be a Christian? And all I've talked about is denying yourself and dying to yourself. And you'd be right to go, I think I might go try something else. Some of us Christians are thinking, think I might go try something else. <laughs> so why? Why would we do this? Because he says this last thing. He says, follow me. Follow me. Where does Jesus lead us? The first place he leads us to is Golgotha, the place of death. Friends, there is a wage of sin, and it is death. God needs to put to death the things in us that sent him to the cross. But where else does Jesus go? He goes to a tomb. And on the other side of that tomb is an empty tomb. Is life. We follow Christ to death because we follow him to life. We follow him to life in all of its fullness. Jesus isn't coming and meeting out these disciplinary things, being like, oh, you want to come follow me? This isn't like some Navy SEALs commando proving yourself kind of a thing. And if you don't deny yourself and take up your cross, you don't make it. What he's trying to do is say, there are things in your world which are destroying you and destroying your world. So deny those things. Take up your cross so that the world knows you're not part of its system. You're against its system. You're wanting to be a part of a different kingdom. But here, follow me. And here's what you will get. You will get life and life to to the full. You'll get life as the way I intended it, the way I purposed it to be, because I will be a new king. You're under the dictatorship of the old self. I want to give you the new self, the new creation, the new life. And some of us as Christians, we need to know what we get with Christ is greater than anything the world could offer us. That's why we deny ourselves and we take up our cross and we follow Him. Not because we have some weird form of self-punishment like we like pain but because it's better with Him than without Him. It's better with Him than without Him. Friends, 
my wife and I, like, we at least we, I didn't say it's the first service because 10 a.m., you get all the bonus content, right? The, you know, we, we just recently purchased all this furniture. It was like, we, you know, she, we're about to have another kid. We just realized, like, we probably need some stuff for her to sit on and that kind of thing. And, and we, we were just, like, in this moment where we, we thought to ourselves, man, once we get furniture, life will be good. Have you ever had this? You know, like, once I get, life will be. And we turned to each other yesterday. She goes, huh. Jesus is really the only thing that satisfies, hey. It was a weird moment standing from these bookcases that took me four hours to build. I'm like, I mean, I don't know. These are, these are pretty satisfying. I could say thank you. But um, it was a weird moment where we were like, yeah, right. We're no better. My heart needs Jesus. Take the world. That's what Jesus is trying to get at. Peter, I could lead you to fame. Wouldn't be enough. I could lead you to fortune. We could go kick Caesar's butt. I've got angel armies. It's not what you need. Friends, Jesus is laying out a plan for a transformation. He says in the next verse, it'll be a couple later. Jody, sorry that I've jumped. He says this. What do you stand to gain? For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? He wants to save their life or lose it. When I was 18 years old, before COVID, there was this moment where it happened again. I don't understand why that's funny. Everyone laughed at the first service because I'm old. To saying the people that also laughed were not young people. Um, <laughs> love you all. There was this moment, right, where you, where I, when I was young, there were these people that would say, um, I'm just going to go to Europe to find myself. Do you remember this? They're not having so much these days. People are like, I'm just going to go to Europe because I can, right? But then back then it was like, I'm going to go to Europe or South America or like, I don't know, Byron Bay, for those of you who didn't have much money. And like, we're just going to go to there to find ourselves. As if they lost themselves over there. Like, you don't go somewhere to find yourself. Like, like, you're where you are at any one point. But here's the thing that Jesus seems to highlight. You don't need to find yourself. In fact, when you find yourself, leave it there and run in the opposite direction. You don't want that guy. Lose yourself and you'll find life. You don't need to go to Europe to have freedom. You need Jesus. And the reason why I say this, is, friends, is that we, we, we f- believe this lie that if I get more furniture, if Michael builds more bookcases, if I can just get more of something, I will have enough. But tell me, who's actually found that to be true? Jesus is the only one that can satisfy. He's standing in front of Peter, pleading with him, deny yourself, mate. Come pick up your cross, follow me. It's the only way forward. It's the only way. And friends, we add anything to that equation. We are the ones that are foolish. We are the ones that are disappointed. Because ultimately, the center of the gospel is an issue of trust. Who do you trust with your life? Peter wanted Jesus to trust him with his life. Jesus says, nah, Peter, I've seen what you've done with yours. Trust me, Peter. But Jesus, you're going to go die. Yeah. Yeah, I am. But I'll bring you life. 
But Jesus, it's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. Yeah, it will. Being a Christian is hard. There'll be suffering. Well, there'll be suffering with or without me. But with me, it'll have a point. Come follow me. But people might hate me and ostracize me. But I'll love you for eternity. Come follow me. What Jesus is offering Peter here is surrender. Hey, Peter, give up control. I'm an A-type INTJ, type 3 on the Enneagram. At least most of you would know what one of those things are. It pretty much means if there's a situation to control, I'm in control of that situation. Being a Christian frustrates me because it only works when I actually choose to let God go and do his thing. I don't get this. But the tighter I hold on to it, the more I fall apart. The more I go, God, help me to die to myself. Take my cross and follow you. The more stuff seems to thrive. The more of my soul becomes alive. Friends, I was praying last night. I was struggling because I'm like, God, I know how to preach this. But do I know how to live it? And I don't know if I do all the time. But then I just remember Jesus, just like just this soft word. He said, Michael, this isn't a one moment thing. This is every day. Jesus, I died on myself today. I take up my cross today. I follow you today. I didn't do it too great yesterday, but I do it today. And the reason why I do that is because I see that I can't do it on my own, but because Jesus died a death, I should have died after living a life that I could not live. He's given me the way forward and the way out. Is that it's not about my effort or about my perfection. That I get this wrong all the time, all the time. But the beauty thing, thing about Jesus, I can come back to him at any moment and say, Jesus, I want to live for you today. What are your concerns? Jesus, I haven't picked up my cross in a little while. What does it mean to die to myself today? And it's just this loving thing I want to offer you, friends. That what Jesus brings Peter isn't condemnation or rebuke right now. He's showing Peter the way forward and the way back. If you're not doing this well, you are not a bad person or a bad Christian. You're a disciple that, like the rest of us, are stumbling home. But don't miss the point. It's surrender. Have you surrendered your life to God? Everything. 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 Because surrender is the only way for God to truly bring transformation to everything. What in your life are you still in control of? A.W. Tozer says this, when we surrender to God, we exchange our limited plans for his perfect purpose. So, for his perfect and eternal purpose. Friends, we're going to finish there. I had about 10 more stories, but none of them are interesting. And the honest truth is what we need now is the Holy Spirit to speak, as he has been. So the band's going to come. And I just wonder, would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Let's just wait on God together. Holy Spirit, just in this moment, what are you saying?
God, I just feel led right now just to lead us all in just confession. God, I and we have not done this well. God, I live for myself all the time. I don't like carrying a cross. It's hard, it's awkward, it's heavy. Honestly, God, I want a life of comfort. But Jesus, you haven't called us to that. You know a better way. Help us to trust you, to surrender to you. We need you, Jesus. Just every head bowed and eyes closed. Friends, if you're in this room right now and you've never surrendered your life to God, you've never said, God, uncurve my heart. Be my Lord. Be my everything. If you haven't ever done that today and you want it today because you realize He is the Son of the living God is the only way into true life, would you just raise your hand wherever you are right now? I'd love to pray for you. Thank you so much. I see your hands. Thank you so much. Anyone else? It's awesome. Thank you so much. I see your hand. Praise God. Jesus, right now, I pray for the hands that are being raised. And I just pray right now that there would be something happening in their heart, changing, transforming. I pray that even as they open their hands in front of you, that there would just be a surrender, a new surrender with Jesus. I just feel like someone who raised their hand just... I'm not going to ask you who it is, but I'm just going to tell you, I feel like someone who raised their hand is just, you're at the end of your rope. And you, you don't know how to keep going. You're done. And this is your last, this is your last effort, your last choice. And you're like, it's all I have left, God. I just need you to take over. I just sense God saying, let go and fall into my arms. Let go. Let it all fall apart. I will keep it all together. You raise your hand. I want you to pray this prayer after me and every Christian in the room is going to join you. Dear Jesus, come on, Christians, let's do better than that. Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my selfishness. I choose to surrender all. Forgive me. Wash me clean. Be my Lord, my Savior, my friend. I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus, in this moment, for anyone who prayed that prayer for the first time, may this be a day where they remember that they are becoming a new creation. May they open up their hearts to you, give them a new heart, a heart of flesh for a heart of stone. And may they sense that you are with them and for them in this moment. In Jesus' name. Everyone else, I just want you to stay sitting and just praying. And Hanisi and the team are going to lead us in a song called I Surrender. And I just want you to ask God in this moment, God, is there any part of my life I need to surrender to you? And if there's not, I just want you to do some business with God. Just, just wrestle with it. God, okay, how do I let that go? How do, I let you, how do I let you take control of that? And when you're ready to surrender all, I'd love you to stand and sing. But only when you're ready. That, like, there's not a race. Do some business with God. And when you're ready to surrender all, would you stand and would you sing this song with us? Until you're ready, and Nisi and the team are going to sing over us. And when you're ready, stand and worship. Let's wait on God now.
Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you would like prayer, you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or Facebook page. We pray that you have a great week. Be blessed.